Jesus knows the song. He said, I know the song in your heart, and I can sing it back to you when you have forgotten the words. I know the song that I've placed in your heart for you to sing. And when you have gotten to a place in your life where circumstances have stolen your song, he said, I'm coming to remind you of the words so that you can sing again. And the word tonight that I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to bring and began to talk to me about it today at about 3 o'clock is he said, it's time to dream again. And he reminded me of an encounter that I had with him earlier in, um, I think it was in December. And I was sitting there, I was crying out to God because I was in, have you ever been in those places where you've been hemmed in, like on both sides? Like you can't go here and you can't go here and you're stuck right in the middle. You really would like to go back and crawl in a hole or something similar, but you're just in this vice, you're in this place. And, um, and I was really in that place, and I was wrestling with God because I was holding on really tightly to something in my life that I was really afraid to let go of because I thought if I let go of it that I would lose it. And so I had, I had so my mind, my thinking, my energy, and everything, I was spending my whole life trying to hold on to this thing. And it was just, I was just exhausted. And this had been going on for me for, um, I guess, about eight months. And I had finally gotten to the point where I kept saying, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. But I couldn't get that thing to click over, you know. You're saying to God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it back to you. I'm doing the whole thing, you know. I'm doing the whole Abraham thing. And I'm laying it on the altar. I'm laying it on the altar. But there was something that just wasn't shifting. And so I was spending time in prayer. And I just felt the Holy Spirit come on me. And I heard the internal audible voice of the Lord. And he said, you don't have to be afraid of losing this. He said, let this go. It's time for you to dream again. And I just felt this rush of wind and freedom and life come back into my body and into my soul that had grown so weary in that place of being hope deferred. And it's interesting because I was actually creating a lot of that myself because I was holding on to something so tightly. I was holding on to this thing in my life that was a promise to me. And I didn't want to let it go because I felt and I'd taken ownership of it and I'd taken on responsibility for seeing that that thing came to pass. Because, you know, God gave it to us. He gives us these dreams. He gives us these promises. And then we're like, all of a sudden we adopt ownership. But really, it's him that it, he's the one that's doing everything. He's the one that's making it come to pass. He's the one. And he wants us just to hold on loosely. And I love what John always says. If you're holding on to something too tight, just let it go. And I feel like that's a word for you tonight. If you're holding on to something so tight. Just let it go because you're not going to lose. The enemy is not going to steal from you what God has purposed for your life. It is an impossibility. 
Because God is faithful and he's not like a lot of the people that we've come to know in our lives who have stolen things from us. But that's not the way God is. And so he really does want us to live to the fullness that he's given us, of the life that he's given us. Amen? So this is what I feel like the Lord was saying to me today at 3 o'clock. How many of you know that when you labor over a message and you labor and you labor, this is kind of how the Holy Spirit works with me. Well, he'll give me the message, but sometimes he is the 11th hour guy, and I'm not going to just stand up here and give you a message like, oh, well, let me just go through my library of messages and pull out some 1998, and we'll just dust that one off, right? So I just wait, and I wait, and I just try not to get too nervous. And um, so today, about 3 o'clock, he just downloaded um, what he wanted to talk about tonight, um, which was so exciting to me because um, it's fresh. So we've been talking about this shift, right? We've been talking about this shift. And he reminded me about the shift that was happening the first time when John the Baptist came and then Jesus came. And he was reminding me about the prophetic swirl and the prophetic generation that they were living in. And how God, all of a sudden, how he had been silent, you know, God had been silent for hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden, like 400, he breaks on the scene and you've got John the Baptist, right? And he's bringing this crazy, this crazy guy, totally radical, totally passionate. And he's bringing a word that all of Jerusalem is going out to the wilderness to hear. He's completely unorthodox. He's not what you would call, you know, somebody that has um, the strategy. He doesn't have it all together. But there's something that he has, which he's got the, the rhema, fresh, prophetic word of the Lord. And so he's bringing a shift, and it's weighted with the DNA of the Holy Spirit. And so the things that he's saying is causing, it says that all of Jerusalem went out to see that. All. Can you imagine what that looked like? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are going out into the middle of nowhere. It's not like there's a hotel out there. Let's check into this hotel, honey. Oh, we have to walk for two days in order to get to this place. And then we've got to walk all the way back. You know, it gets cold at night. We've got the kids. The kids are whining. I mean, so you've got the picture. These people were hungry and because God was speaking once again. So right now... What's happening is we're, we're in a, the midst of another shift and God is doing something again because in the first shift, Jesus was coming, right? And so now we're in another shift. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And so he's beginning to move and he's beginning to turn everything upside down. So, so religion, the Christian faith as we have known it is now actually being turned upside down. And he's taking us back to the ancient ways, to the ancient pathways. And he's doing it through your mouths. And so when the Lord told me earlier um, in the fall, and he said to me, it's time for my people to dream again. It's time for you to dream again. It's time for you to dust off all of those prophetic words from the past three years because those words are going to come to pass in this year. And so... 
I want to take a look at this, and I want to take a look at what was happening when John the Baptist came, because I think that if we can understand how that shift happened, who those people were, then we can get an understanding of how we're going to function in that ourselves. Because we know that he said that the spirit of Elijah came to prepare the way of the Lord the first time. And John the Baptist was in the spirit of Elijah. And he said that before his coming the last time, in the last days, the spirit of Elijah will come once again. Now, um, a guy, a prophet named um, Neville Johnson had an encounter in June of this past year, uh, 2012. And in the encounter, um, the, the Lord woke him up in the middle of the night and had him go into his library. He's from Australia. Did I say that? He's from Australia. Okay. Anyway, he's, I mean, he's a, he is a tried and true prophet. I mean, whatever this guy says, I mean, it's like you can take it to the bank. He's one of the guys that prophesied IHOP back in the 80s. I mean, so he is on the money. Um, anyway, so he goes into his library and all of the sudden, he feels the, a heavy, weighty presence come into the room. And standing before him appears Elijah and Moses. And they came with a message that the apostolic reformation is at hand. And that the spirit of Elijah is in the land. Now, when Elijah comes to you and says, P.S., I'm here. (laughs) I'm in the land. These are the two witnesses, guys. These are the two witnesses. So that's an incredible encounter. And when something like that begins to happen, we all know we're living in a prophetic generation. We all know that we're beginning to access the heavenly realms. We all know that there's a shift happening. I mean, I'm looking out here and I'm looking at a lot of forerunners and I'm looking at a lot of people that have a greater understanding than most. You guys are the tip of the spear. So I'm not, I'm not here to feed you milk. I'm here to tell you about what's happening. So let's get out our steak knives and take a look at who was Elijah. Because when, when, when John the Baptist came, he did not function in the same way as Elijah did. So, I mean, if we're talking about the practical of it, what are we talking about? He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't prophesying. I mean, other than prophesying that Jesus was coming, but he didn't go about and function the same way that Elijah did. He didn't come against Jezebel. He didn't do those kind of things. What his main message was, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So turning your Bibles to uh, Luke one seventeen. <coughs> Sorry. Luke one seventeen is a is really a summary of his um, ministry. Luke also, later in Luke chapter 1, goes into um, a greater definition that his father talks about. But this is what the angel said. You're there before me. Sorry. Luke one seventeen. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so he told us in Malachi... 
that the spirit of Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And right here, what is he doing? He's talking and he's quoting Malachi 4, 5. So he's saying that once again, that, that as he came, before Jesus came the first time, he is going to come in a similar way. Turn to Malachi 4, 5. So he's talking about the spirit of Elijah and, and what the spirit of Elijah is going to be doing. Because this is what you're going to be doing. Because he's coming back, and I believe he's coming back in this generation. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. See, the, the name Elijah means that God is Yahweh. It means that God is the Lord. See, I believe that you are going to be the ones that come in the spirit of Elijah. And the spirit of Elijah is resting on an entire generation because you have Christ in you. And what did Jesus say when he came? Jesus came to do something. What did he come to do? Reveal the Father. And so he came to say, God and I are the same. I am going to reveal the nature of my father to you through my life, right? That's what he said to Philip when Philip said right before he went into the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Philip said, show me the father and it will be enough for me. And he said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you haven't seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So if the spirit of Elijah is going to reveal and and move the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the father, this is what your job description is because Christ is in you to reveal the father. So Jesus came to do two things, reveal the father through himself to the earth. The second thing, introduce the new kingdom reality, which is Christ in you. And he said, he said to them over and over and over again, this is how you are going to function as a Christ man or a Christ woman on the earth. This whole business of going to a place called church is really a bunch of nonsense. Because he didn't say that. He said, you are the ecclesia. You are the ambassador. You are my representation on the earth. Uh, Everywhere you go, you carry me around on the inside. You are my temple. You are my habitation. I tabernacle with you. He made it very clear. He said it over and over and over. Make no mistake about who you are and who dwells within you. This time before the great and terrible day, Jesus will once again reveal the Father through himself, but this time through you. The spirit of Elijah 
will rest on you and is resting on you. And it's beginning to happen. We're beginning to see it already that the spirit of Elijah is now resting on you so that Christ can come through you and reveal the father to an entire generation. That is, by the way, fatherless. They're longing for that blanket of Psalm 91 to be thrown over them because that's what their dad should have been doing all along. Because they feel unsafe, uncovered, unprotected, and unloved. But when your words come forth in that kind of way where you tell them about the father... This is what I was talking about last week when I was talking about going to the, to the salon. And, and all, I, wasn't, I wasn't preaching the gospel. I was revealing the Father. And she was saying to me, it is enough. When she said, the words that you're speaking are wisdom. I'm eating the words that you're saying to me. That's what she said to me. This is an unbeliever new age girl. Because I was revealing the Father and she was feeling the blanket of love that I was throwing over her. Right? When the angel came to Daniel in chapter 12, let's turn there, chapter 12. So the angel comes to Daniel and he begins to tell him and he gives him a prophecy of the last days. And he, so he tells him in verse 1 through 3, he tells him about everything that's going to be happening. And then he tells them, him this. And he says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words. Oh, this is in verse 4. Shut up the words and seal the book until the end of the until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So what did he say? He said two things. Something is happening, and there's there is a there is a word and a sound that's coming forth. And he tells him, I want you to shut up these words. Because the, these words are reserved for the last generation. And the words are going to be the revelation of Jesus through my people on the earth. And it's a sound that's going to come out of you that Daniel, that the angel was telling Daniel, wait, don't release those words and that sound yet. Because this particular sound and these words are actually going to begin to create movement so that the harvest can come in so that all of heaven can be filled. And then the second thing he said, seal up the book until the, the time of the end. So he says, shut up the words and seal up the book. So I want to go there for a minute. I want to look at these. Uh, not only have we talked about the words, but I want to look at the books. He says, first of all, don't utter these words for the time for this sound to break into the earth is not yet. The second thing, the book cannot be opened. There is an opening that's happening. And do you know that in, um, 
in Revelation 20, 12, he says this. Um, John, when he's talking, he's, he's in this revelation. He's, he's looking at the heavenlies and he's being shown all of the events that are going to be, that are going on in heaven that are also going on in the, in the earth. And he said this in Revelation 20, 12, I saw a dead, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You see, what he's talking about is you. You are actually the books that are being opened at the end of the age. So he pulls out a book, and the book is Vince. And he looks at the book because the word says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And so what he's doing is he's writing Vince's story, right? He is that book that he said, this cannot be opened. This can only be opened at the end of the age. I have planned and purposed for Vince to be in Dallas, Texas, I'm writing his story. He's following the timeline of my of the pen of the ready writer. I am speaking these things out and he's following the timeline. He's following the outline that I've created for him. So that at the end of the age when when the father is standing there and he's looking at Vince's book, he'll look at it and he'll say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." You did what I asked you to do. You said what I told you to say. Amen? You released the words of life in the generation which created life, which created momentum, which created a great harvest that I've now populated all of heaven with. I heard a statistic the other day. It was just fascinating. The people from Adam and Eve, all of the people that have been born from Adam and Eve all the way up to 1989 do not, is not greater than the amount of people since 1989 till now that have been born. There are more people on the earth today than have existed and have lived from Adam and Eve until 1989. God is about to populate heaven with a great and mighty harvest. When does the harvest come? At the end of the age, right? We are postured. We are positioned for this. I was at IHOP two years ago, and I was, I was watching all of these young people. Man, they were coming. I, I thought they were going to levitate. I really did. They were just so excited. If you've never been around a lot of teenagers who are all on fire for Jesus, I really encourage you to do that because, I mean, it just makes you feel so invigorated and exhausted. But um, I asked the Lord, I was walking around and I said, is this the generation of your return or will there be another? And he said, this is it. This is my generation. This is, this is who I'm coming. This is my bride. I mean, I was like, okay. Let's, let's look busy, right? Come on. So a couple of things is happening. 
the revelation of Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father through the word of God. God is increasing the knowledge and the revelation of his son in the scriptures, in the holy scriptures. We're beginning to see Jesus actually leap off of the page. And he's becoming, he's like coming into us and it's coming alive. How many of you have seen this happening to you as you read the word recently? Have you seen, seen the increase? All right, that is him, that God is doing that. That is what I believe is the book that Daniel said, when the angel said, don't open this book, Daniel. I think he was saying to me, or, or I believe, this is what I believe, that it is the revelation of Jesus and the Holy Scriptures. But I also believe that it is the revelation of Jesus through Jeremy Shuck, through May Train, through Jen Scoggins. It is the revelation of Jesus, and there is an increase of this knowledge of who Christ is, and what it does is it fuels us to do the greater works. Amen? Psalm 45.1, you are a book that is being written. It says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition. Whoops, sorry. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Here's the thing. Most of you don't believe all of the good things that God has in store for you. Really. You believe the bad things. You're like, oh, okay, that's right. I know that's right. There's the list, you know. But he comes and he, and he said, listen, I'm going to give you more than you can hope or imagine. Well, I've got a great imagination. I mean, I've got a really good imagination, and I can go there all day long. And if he's saying to me that it's going to be better than that, guys, I'm telling you, this is going to be incredible. And so he's, he's not saying to us, oh, listen, you guys, I mean, it, he's not looking at us and saying, here's everything you're doing wrong. Here he knows that. He's like, listen, I realize the generation you've been born into. I realize the struggles, the things that you're dealing with. He's saying, look at all of this. Look at the dreams that I have planted in your heart. The promises that I have had over your life. I want you to dust those off because these are the things that are about to come to pass. And he's looking for those who dare to believe in the good news. We've been getting our bottoms kicked for so long that we actually don't quite know what to do when something good begins to happen to us. We, we've lost the ability to believe. But what I believe he's been doing is he's just been refining us in that place where we're, na- we're getting we're gold. I'm looking at gold as I look at you. Every single one of you has a story of how you've been crushed and, and, and um, you've gone through seasons of suffering. You've been, you're like, Aah. but here's the thing. There is a light at the end of this tunnel and it's not a train, right? It really is the promise. It really is the dream. See, it does say that he's the author and finisher of our faith. He is gonna, he's authored you. 
He has authored you. He has written your story out. It's already written. He's given you the grace to do it. The word author, do you know where the word authority comes from? Authority. He has authored this authority. He's given you the authority to accomplish everything that you've been called to do. Because he has all authority. He is the author with all authority. What happens when you write a book? I'm writing a book right now. Guess what? I'm the author, and I have all authority over what goes in that book. I get to decide. Unless, of course, the editor goes, you need spell check. (laughs) But really. All right, so how does he author you? Because let's just put some practical to this. How does he author you? How is this book being written? How is your book being written in the earth? Through your mouth. Why? Where does he live? Does he live up on a planet? Does he have a special planet called, oh, this is planet heaven. We live up here. We actually have water on this planet. Someday NASA will figure that out. No. Where does he live? Right in here. He's writing your story from the inside. And so he's saying things, and he's creating your story as his words come out of your mouth. On his lips is good news about you. He has the pen of a ready writer. He is the one that is writing your story. But unfortunately, with a lot of us, we keep erasing a lot of the things that he's saying. Because we, he can't get any agreement and he can't get those that really believe in the good report. And these big dreams that he has for us. You're like, no, 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 that's too big, that's too good, that's too, no, I'm over here. I live over here, all the bad stuff happens to me. That's who I am. As you release the words of life, he is authoring you. It is a co-creation. He is actually creating the future of your life out of you, through you, so that your destiny and the dreams that you've carried can be completed. Now, you can't go around and proclaim millions of dollars and um, the, you know, whatever, billion-dollar house, unless, of course, that's what he said. You can't fake that kind of thing. But here's where you get it. You get it. Where do you get it? Okay, you know I'm going there. Where do you get it? Where do you get it? Oh, come on. Whatever. You got a mouth. Come on, Jen. Woo! Prayer! Jen, you get the award. All right, so let's talk about the Garden of Gethsemane because we've already discussed, okay, here you've got John the Baptist, then you've got Jesus. Jesus, okay, John the Baptist came and he came to prepare the way for Jesus to come. So he, he, what did he do? Walked in the spirit of Elijah, right? Bursting forth out of him, Jesus comes and says, oh, hey, I'm going to reveal the father to you. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to die on the cross. Okay, wait, I got to go to the garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so then he goes and he's, and he's hanging out with his disciples and he knows that the end is coming. He understands all of this. He knows all, knows, you know, he knows the timing of this thing. So he's hanging out in the, in the, um, 
in uh, the upper room. He's hanging out. They're having a meal together, right? They're breaking bread together. He's washing their feet. And then he goes in, and in John 17, 14 through 17, he is talking to them, and he's still sharing wisdom with them. He knows what he's about to go through. And he says this, turn to, um, okay, I have an address, but I think it's in, I think it's in Matthew, Matthew 26, 36. Matthew 26, 36. Okay, so he even goes in, and it's so interesting because he's, he's talking to Peter. You know, he's, he's, he, he is pastoring his disciples because he knows what they're about to go through. He knows that he's about to leave them, and he knows they're not going to get it. And so it's really, I love how Peter, because how many of you are like Peter? I'm like Peter. Oh, I'll never do that, God. I'm the one that's going to be with you thick and thin and da-da-da-da. And, and so um, Jesus says this in verse 31, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after, you ha- but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Then Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So they're in this place where Jesus is trying to tell them about what's coming. Then he goes into the garden of Gethsemane. Now remember what Peter said. I'm sticking with you thick and thin. I'm there. I'm there. I'm your man. All these other guys may not, they may fall away, but I'm, I'm there for you, right? So then you go into the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So he took with him the the three, uh, his, his inner council, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Okay, I want you to mark that. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Then he came back to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Hey, can I just remind you what you just said back there? Okay, mister, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. You know, you can't even stay awake. And so he says this to him. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes through this three times where he comes back. Peter is like, (laughs) right? He's like, ah. But he knows, and he, even, even though he understands that he is in a sorrowful place, and he's in a sorrowful posture, and there's a huge transition happening, and there's a huge shift happening, his advice to Peter and to the sons of Zebedee, he is saying, this is the, this is the cream of his crop. These are the three best. These are the generals among the generals. And they can't stay awake. And he assigns it to the fact that the flesh is weak, 
but the Spirit is willing. So he's saying, unless you have and have been filled with the Spirit, it is going to be impossible for you to understand and to pray and to watch with me. And so in the same way, I want you to look at where we are today because you've got a similar circumstance happening today. And so he's saying, what, what do you mean God doesn't talk anymore? What do you mean I, I've got a prayerless church in the earth? Because in that condition, you will not have or we will not have the ability to watch. We will not have the ability to do what he asked them to do. He said, I want you to watch so you don't fall into temptation. And number two, I want you to minister to me in the place where I'm coming back. Because the fuel of your prayers is actually fueling his return. And you have the spirit of Elijah on you. So once the spirit comes, he will lead you into a vibrant prayer life that produces a story of his life through you. As you enter into the place of prayer through the gate of his spirit, then you will have a vibrant prayer life that will release his story and your story through you. Jesus is still alive. He's walking around in Vince's coat, human flesh. He's walking around as Jeremy. He's walking around as May. So when we pray, you're just releasing that place on the inside. And all of those opinions that he has about you are for good and not evil. When we forsake the place of prayer, our dreams become dim and our heart becomes hope deferred. And the dreams that we're to dream seem impossible. Whenever you see the word hope in the Bible, he came to give us hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Michael quoted it earlier. That's, you can just put right there where it says hope. He came to give me a dream. He came to give me a dream that I know is going to come to pass. I'm no longer hope deferred. I'm no longer sick in my heart because I haven't seen anything happen. Timing does not matter. If you will stay watching him, then your heart will come alive again. It's time to be, for you to begin to dream again. I had a dream the other night, and in the dream, um, the Lord told me, I want you to color your dream. I want you to get out a piece of paper, and I want you to get sharpened crayons, and I want you to color your dream. I want you to draw it. I want you to fill it in. I want you to color it. Everything that I have promised you and all of the dreams that you're carrying in your heart, I want you to color them. 
So I was sharing this dream at a leadership meeting this week, and um, Matthew said, that's a great idea. Why don't we all do it? So May, Anne-Marie, I want you to come up here because I'm sure that we have some, um, we have some art that's gonna, you're going to want to put at the HARS art night. So this is what we did. We just got together and we wrote the dream that, that he's told us, all of the different parts and all of the different pieces, um, front and back, and we just drew the picture of everything that he has said, every dream that I have, and this is going on my refrigerator, all right? Now, I know this may sound strange to some of you, but when God tells you to do something, no matter how weird it is, like you want me to color, thank you, Emery, you want, me to, you want me to do what? You want me to color my dream? And then my dream is going to start come to pass? Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Mud in the eye. That's all I got to say forever and ever. Who thought of that? Right? Right? Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's Harold in the purple crayon. Do you remember Harold? how you would draw his world, that's what you're doing. You are drawing your world that then you get to live in with your words. Hayden, you want to come up? So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand. And if you have given up on your dreams... If you have a really hard time thinking, there's no way that this can happen. It's just too big. It's too impossible. The circumstances of my life are too big. We want to pray over you. I want you to come up front, and we want to pray over you. But for everyone else, I want you to hold your hands out. Because God's about to drop in your hands crayons. And these are crayons that you're going to begin to draw with. And there's some of you here that have just stopped dreaming altogether. Because you're really afraid of being disappointed if it doesn't happen. But you're in a day of favor now. And when you're in a time of favor, what do you do? You ask for favor. And so you all have a homework assignment. I want you to go home and I want you to use the crayons. And I want you to color your dreams.